God has strategically placed two entities, the church and the family, here in this world to have influence. Their role is to illuminate Christ. It's simply to turn a light on. Kathy, is, is there something wrong in the nursery? My light won't come on. There's some, oh, there it is. It's Glad technology. You're welcome. So everything's okay idea. back there. Everything's great. This is Kathy Cheney. She runs our nurseries. She makes sure everything's going Thank smooth you. back there on Sunday. Horizon has the cutest kids. I think you'll agree. <laughs> yes. Of course. I have an idea for you. You do. I know uh, you're a little more accustomed to teaching young people. Right. So I thought perhaps I could come tell a few jokes. Loosen up the crowd to tell, make it feel a little more like home for you. You're, you're going to tell a few they jokes? They fit. They fit perfect with your sermon, I promise. Please, 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 please. You're not going to leave until I let you tell. Nope. Okay. They left a microphone unattended. <laughs> That's right. We did, didn't we? Okay, All so right. tell me. Do you know how many evolutionists does it take to change a light bulb? Um, I, don't, I don't know. How many evolutionists does it One, take? One, but it takes millions of years. I have more. Wow. How many mystery writers does it take to change a light bulb? How, mystery writers? Mystery writers. I have no idea. Two. One to screw the bulb most of the way in, one to add a surprise twist at the end. Wow. Oh, we're just getting started. <laughs> Tell okay. Me. How many real men does it take to change a light bulb? Okay, real men. Real men. I don't have a clue. None. A real man is not afraid of the dark. <laughs> how wow. many real women does it take to change a light bulb? Okay, how many? None. A real woman knows to let a real man do it for her. Yeah. <laughs> I got one more. That's true. You got one more. How many narcissists does it take to change a light bulb? Uh, that's a big word for a children's pastor. <laughs> Wow. Only one, but they hold the bulb and wait for the world to revolve around them. <laughs> well, all right. Wow. We're all loosened up for you. I got to go sing this little light of mine to a couple two and three year olds in there. Hey, so. well, that's great because, you know, I'm going to talk about the verses that inspired that song. You know, it was written in 1920. That's an old song. It's an old song, but great verses from the Bible. Well, don't let Satan it out. <laughs> okay. All right, you have fun with those two or three-year-olds. We're going to start reading from the book of Matthew, chapter 5, verse 16. Let your light shine before men that they may see your fine works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And then moving to Luke eleven thirty-three, No one lights a lamp and then hides it or puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where its light can be seen by all who enter the house. And then Matthew 5, 14 through 15 says, You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. Both the church and the home are comprised of broken imperfect people through whom God has chosen to tell his story. 
The church and the family, we have this shared goal to illuminate Christ. God has not asked us to be perfect, but he has asked us to allow his perfect work in us to shine a light on Christ in the dark world. And we shine our light by loving God and by loving each other. Let's pray. Father God, we just come before you and and say thank you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your plans for us. That even though we're broken and imperfect, you use us. You use us to tell your story. We pray today that you would help us to deepen our love for you and deepen our love for each other. That you would speak to us through your word. That you would help us to listen and obey what you have to say today. Thank you, God. Amen. The church's primary role is to illuminate Christ. C.S. Lewis said this about the church. He said, the church exists for nothing else but to draw men into Christ, to make them little Christ. If they are not doing that, all the cathedrals, clergy, missions, sermons, even the Bible itself are simply a waste of time. God became man for no other purpose. God became man for no other purpose. Now, we've been living in Oregon for seven years now, and my husband is in gray sky bliss. He totally loves the weather here. He totally loves the fact that the sun doesn't often touch him. I think he uses the word molest. The sun molests him when he's outside. That's the phrase he uses at home. Um, But, you know, I happen to like the sun and kind of miss it when it goes away. But there's a perk to living here in Oregon. And that is I have not ever seen as many rainbows (laughs) in my entire life than what I've seen since we moved here. And I think about that guy who cried on YouTube, the double rainbow guy, you know, he cried. <laughs> you remember that? He's, you know, obviously he did not grow up in Oregon or else he would have not had that experience with a rainbow. But a rainbow is a picture promise given to us by God. And if you take time to look through the Bible, you'll notice that there are all kinds of little pictures, little promises, little illustrations, illuminations, things that God has placed in his word to shine a light on Jesus and the ultimate work that Jesus was going to do for us, that dying on the cross for our sins, that work that only he could do. One of those pictures we find in the book of Exodus chapters 25 and 27, God is giving great detail to Moses on how to set up the tabernacle, the church of that day. And he's telling him what kind of rooms to have and what kind of furniture to put into each room. And he, and he talks about the Holy of Holies, which is a room that ha- will house the Ark of the Covenant. And nothing else was supposed to be in that room. And that Ark represents God's presence living among his people. And then in front of the room called the Holy of Holies, there was to be a room that had absolutely no outside light, no windows. It was to be completely dark. And in that room, they were to place a table. And on the table, they were to place 
some bread called the bread of the presence, but it was 12 loaves of bread representing the 12 tribes of Israel, representing God's people. And then in the room, they were to place a lampstand. And it was to shine its light on that table and on that bread. And this is an illustration, a picture that God put in the Bible for us. The dark room representing the world without Christ. The lampstand representing the good news of Christ and how he came to save the world from their sins. And the bread sitting there in the light of the good news. Getting, it's God's people getting their daily sustenance, their daily bread from the light of Jesus. We read about in John how Jesus referred to himself as the bread of life. John 6, 47 through 49. I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes has eternal life. Yes, I am the bread of life. So we have these illustrations, these pictures. And then we, if we move to the book of Revelation, we'll see the lampstand again. We're going to read about it in Revelation 1, starting at verse 12. When I turned to see who was speaking to me, I saw seven gold lampstands. And standing in the middle of the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man. He was wearing a long robe with a gold sash across his chest. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were like polished bronze refined in a furnace, and his voice thundered like mighty ocean waves. He held seven stars in his right hand, and a sharp two-edged sword came from his mouth. Now, I'm, I'm a really literal thinker. So when I'm reading this, I have a little bit of trouble. You know, I can, I can imagine the lamp stands in a circle, and then the one that's being talked about is Jesus standing in the middle of these lamp stands. And their lights are shining on Jesus, but the whole fire coming from the eyes and the, and the bronze feet and the sword coming out of his mouth, you know, that sounds a little creepy to me. But I always have to remind myself that this is a picture revelation given to the writer. It's not um, an exact description of what Jesus looked like. It's an illustration illustrating to us that his words that come forth from his mouth, the good news, it pierces the hearts of men. It touches our lives. We read about it in the book of Hebrews, chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. So the words of Jesus, like a sword that cuts through our heart, that helps us see us for who we are, We are sinners who need to be saved by grace. And here we have this Jesus who's standing in the middle of the lampstands. And we continue reading at Revelations 1.16. And his face was like the sun in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as if I were dead. But he laid his right hand on me and said, Don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died, but look, I am alive forever and ever. 
And that's talking about, of course, him dying on the cross for our sins and being risen from the dead. And I hold the keys of death in the grave. Write down what you have seen, both the things that are now happening and the things that will happen. This is the meaning of the mystery of the seven stars you saw in my right hand and the seven gold lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So here we see the lampstands. They're a depiction. They're a picture of the church. And we see here that they're surrounding Jesus, shining a light on him. God has set this thing we call church into motion to illuminate Christ. That is our sole purpose for being. And we need to be careful what we're illuminating. We need to be careful that we don't pick up our lampstand and start illuminating something other than Christ. Christ is the main deal here. In Revelation 2-3, the church is given this warning. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. But I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you have fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from among its place among the churches. The warning here, you don't love me and you don't love each other. And look how far it's made you fall. Be careful. I may come and remove your lampstand. That's, that's a scary thought for me. I mean, if we're not here with the lampstand shining a light on Jesus, then we're kind of wasting our time, aren't we? Heaven forbid that we should do something that we would lose our lampstand, that we would stop illuminating Christ, that our love for God and our love for each other would grow cold. There's something about us loving God and loving each other that turns a light on in our society. There's something about that that illuminates Christ. We have some tools here at Horizon that we put into place for the sole purpose of helping us keep deepen our love for God and deepen our love for each other. And we call that the environments. And I'm going to talk about the environments real quick here. But the first environment is the kitchen where we're to be in the Word and prayer daily. For adults, we have the life journals, and for youth, we have the life journals, and we also have on our website a place where you can go and do daily Bible reading. For Kidstown and in the smaller classes, we send take-home papers so that there's scripture verses or a Bible story or a family devotion, something that you can help your kids stay in the Word during the week. These are tools we are giving you so that you can deepen your love with Christ. If you're not spending time in the Word, you are running the risk of your love for Christ growing cold. Because that's how we get to know Him. That's how we communicate. We read His Word. We pray. We listen. That's how our love for Him deepens. I think about my daughter Hannah. She has a best friend named Cassie. And she moved, Cassie moved to Hawaii about a year ago. And I just think back to when I was a kid. When a kid moved away, they were dead, right? (laughs) 
Because there was no way my parents were going to pay for a long-distance phone call to talk to somebody who moved to Hawaii. I mean, they, you know, you just didn't have that friend anymore. That friendship was done. But Cassie has a cell phone, and there's also this thing now called Facebook. And so they're able to communicate almost on a daily basis. And because of that, their relationship is still strong. And it has not grown cold. And it's the same with us and God. We have to be intentional and committed to meeting with him on a daily basis in the word and in prayer if we want our love for him to deepen and not grow cold. And then we have the family room, which is being a small group weekly. And there are lots of uh, opportunities to be in small groups here, from shepherding groups to life groups. And there's all kinds of things that, are going on where you can have this small group interaction, but this is so that you can deepen your love for each other as you talk about Christ. I think about my own life group. Um, Brian and Mandy Purcell are in our life group, and I've been able to develop a, a great friendship with them because of that. And Brian has gone away to boot camp. He's... Um, joined the service and he's off at boot camp and just under two weeks ago Mandy gave birth to their first child baby Kelly while Brian was at boot camp and our life group has been taking Mandy meals and taking care of her and checking in on her and making sure she's okay and when I dropped off a meal she told me this story and I asked her if I could share it with you and she said yes as long as you don't paste it on Facebook or post it on her page or on his page so Please promise me you won't say anything about this on Facebook. But she shared with me that the morning after the baby was born, Brian was given a five-minute phone call to call her. And so they shared stuff back and forth. And right toward the end of the phone call, baby Kelly began to cry. And it was such a beautiful moment for Brian. Because, you know, we love our babies from afar while they're on their way, while they're in the belly, and we have that parental love, but there's something that deepens, that tie that binds as we hear them cry and as we hold them in our arms. And though he wasn't able to see her, he could hear her crying in the background. And it, just, it was just a great moment for him. And right, right at that moment, the drill sergeant came in and said, hang up and get in formation. And so... He had to hang up the phone, and it was the hardest thing that he had done. He was relishing the sound of that little voice. He got in formation, but the emotions of the moment overcame him, and the tears began to fall down his face. And how many of you know that's a problem if you're crying in formation at boot camp? <laughs> that does not turn out well for you. So he was doing everything he could to make the tears stop coming. But they kept coming, and the drill sergeant, of course, noticed and came and got right in his face and said, Purcell, what is your problem? And he explained, my wife had a baby last night. I just heard her cry for the first time on the phone. And the drill sergeant said to him, Purcell, did you sign the line? Meaning, did you sign up for the Army, dude? What are you doing? Did you sign the line? He said, yes, sir, I signed the line. He then said, when you signed the line, did you know your wife was going to have a baby while you weren't there? Yes, sir. I signed the line when I knew my wife was going to have a baby and I wasn't going to be there. Then he looked at him, the drill sergeant, and said, 
Well, that's that. And he walked away. He just finished up what he had to do while he was there. And as soon as they were done with the activities, the drill sergeant said, Purcell, my office now. So he went into the office and he thought, this is it. I'm going to get in big trouble for crying while in formation. You know, they're going to let me have it. But as the door closed, his drill sergeant said these miraculous words. And you have to know, these are, this does not happen. This was a miracle. Do you want to go home on a three-day medical leave and see your baby girl? And he, of course, said yes. And within two hours, his paperwork had gone through five levels of people who had to stamp approval. And the plans were being made. And he was able to come home and spend three days with his baby girl. That story, when we shared it with our life group, it, it, I don't think there was a dry eye in the house. I mean, we've been praying for them. We've been encouraging them. We've been loving them. And then we get to see the fruit of that love and that prayer and that encouragement that God is with us and he's doing great things. The next environment I want to talk about, the living room, be in church weekly. The whole purpose of this Sunday morning experience, the whole reason why we come here is for us to deepen our love with God and to deepen our love with each other. I say this with the kids in kids' town so they understand why we're here. Hey kids, you know why we're here today? We're here to meet with each other and we're here to meet with God. That's why we're here today. So let's do it. Let's get, let's get it done. We're here to meet with each other and to meet with God. Sometimes because at church that's where we, we, we have worship, that's where we get fed, and we get encouraged and strengthened, we can kind of get the mentality that church is about me, church is about my worship experience, church is about how, what the Lord's going to say to me, and we need to kind of change that mentality. That's a little bit about what church is about. But there's a bigger picture here. Church is also about how you're going to love and interact with everyone else who comes into this place. It's about how, our, how we love each other. We're shining a light in our community. It takes commitment to love. And we've... We've learned, you know, we've seen a pretty high-profile guy in the news this week who wasn't totally committed to his wife, and that's kind of coming back to bite him right now. And their relationship is shaky now because it takes commitment to have a deep love and a deep trust. And you need to be committed to this place and to the people who are sitting here. Otherwise, we run the risk of our love growing cold and God removing our lampstand. He said we had to love him and love others. And he was warning the church, if you stop doing that, you're in trouble. I know sometimes church is hard. Um, you know, I kind of look at it like math class or science class. Those things didn't come easy to me in school. And I had a hundred excuses why not to go. But I had a really smart mom you know, and she saw through every excuse and made me go, why did I not want to go? Because some things are hard to learn. Everything in the Bible 
isn't easy. And love and flowers, there are things in there that are difficult for us. There are lessons, there are growing pains that we are going to have that are a little hard. And we have this temptation to just not go because it's, it's just a little too hard. I know, what they're gonna, I know what the sermon series is, that's too hard for me. Or I don't want to be in youth group or I don't want to go to kids town today because, you know, I'm just feeling uneasy. Those, those feelings come, temptations come, you know. The enemy knows that we learn good things here. He can plant things in our mind where we don't want to come. We have to fight that. We have to be committed to this place, committed to being here, committed to being in the youth group if we're youth, committed to being in kids' town if we're kids. That's where God's going to speak to us. That's where our love for him is going to deepen, and that's where we're going to deepen our love for each other. The neighborhood, the next environment, be in service to God and humanity. This is where we take our love for God and our love for each other and we export it. We go shine a light in the world and we're getting ready to do great things in Cambodia and I am so excited. We're going to be shining a light for Jesus there. The youth just got through the 30-hour famine where they went without food for 30 hours to see what it's like to go without food and then they went downtown and served food to the homeless and they also at the same time, we're raising money to help with those programs. And I'm so proud of them that they did that. And our kids in Kidstown, they give to missionaries. You know, they support three missionaries, just like the adults have missionaries that they support on a monthly basis. The kids in Kidstown do that. Last week, we, round, we ended off our big offering contest, and the kids gave $225 to BGMC. That's fantastic. For kids, but I know it was ultimately you, so thank you for handing that money to your kids. <laughs> they were asking you to mow the lawn or weed or to get that money. I want you to think about this. These, these environments are tools that are in your tool chest, but you have to pick up the tool in order for it to be useful. And I hope that you don't look at it like this. Well, I'm in two out of the four, so that's not bad. You know, I'm doing pretty good. I want you to be great. So I'm saying to you, get in all four, and then you'll be great. you got to pick up the tool and use it. Now we're going to switch our focus from the church uh, to the family. The family exists to illuminate the love of Christ. Just as God placed the tabernacle and the lampstand and the bread to show a picture of Jesus and his salvation work. He has ordained marriage in the family to show the love that Christ has for the church and the love that the church has for Christ. Now, I know that all families are not created equal here. We, we, we're, we're different shapes. We're different sizes. We have single parents. We have blended families. We have Families without children, we have families with children. We look different, but I want you to realize this. It's not how your family is made up that is the light. It's how you submit to one another in love. That's how you're shining a light in our community. We're going to look at a passage of scripture in Ephesians that talks about this 
And I, I just want you to think about this. This passage is not about gender versus gender. It, it's not about the battle of the sexes. It's not about one gender is better than the other. This is simply about God placing a picture of his love in our society. Ephesians 5, 21 through 30. And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as, their love, as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it. Just as Christ cares for the church, and we are members of his body. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. This way we love each other, as a family, it is a picture and has been a picture for all people through all time of the love that Christ has for the church, that he would submit his life to God and die on the cross for our sins, and that we would submit to his headship because he is our savior. As we submit to one another in love, we are turning a light on in our society. The people around us who are watching us love each other, they're seeing a picture of Christ. I'm not saying here that you have to be perfect and that your family has to fit in a perfect, pretty package. I mean, if you look at our family, we have four kids, and we're a lot like the WWE. A lot of Friday nights, there's going to be a smackdown. You just, you know, <laughs> somebody's going to be fighting. It's just the nature of family. I don't want you to think about being perfect. I just want you to know that every time you submit to a family member in love, you are illuminating Christ. You are being that light. I want to talk to parents for just for a second here, but um, don't, don't check out if you don't have kids because there is some child in your life, whether it's a, a niece or, or a nephew or a kid in the neighborhood or a kid here at church, there's a child that you can have influence on. So don't check out, but hang in here with me. We're going to look at how in Deuteronomy chapter 6, um, God sets the family in motion as the main entity to pass faith from one generation to the next. And 
I, I just want to ease the minds of parents here because today there's a lot of pressure. There's just a lot of pressure to be a good parent today. There, I mean, it's a lot of competition and money. I, we're, we're expected now to start bank accounts when our kids are born and, and for their college education. There's just a, we're, we're expected to get them involved in every sport and, and get music lessons and get them in karate and get them voice lessons and and we're expected to, you know, these days we can't even give our kid a phone. It has to be a smart, you know. You know, a lot of, a lot of kids would stand here and say, oh, my, my phone's smarter than my parents. It's just, it's just a lot of pressure today. A lot of pressure out there. And I want to ease your mind because those things are good and it's great to get your kid involved in activities. But there's only one thing you have to do. And that is to illuminate the love of Christ to your children. The role of parents or, or a role model, if you don't have children, is not to impress others with parenting, leading, or teaching ability, but to impress on the next generation the love of Christ. Your job is to turn the light on. In Deuteronomy 4, or Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 through 6, it says, Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you are on the road, when you are going to bed and when you are getting up. Repeat them again and again. This is your job, to talk about Jesus, to talk about what God has done in your life, to talk about how he's answered your prayers, to tell your story, to tell what he's done for you. I can remember as a kid sitting in a room in the kitchen where my parents would gather around the table with family members who would come to visit. And I can remember them telling their stories. And that has built faith in me. I can remember my Aunt Carol and my Uncle Alan. I don't know exactly the timeline and all the details because I was a kid listening. But this is what I remember them talking about from time to time. When they got married, they were very young and they were in the drug scene. And that caused a lot of stress on their relationship. And then they had a baby girl named Angie who died around a year old of meningitis. And they were grief-stricken, and they were in pain, and they had addictions, and those things led to, ultimately led to a divorce. But then there was God. And they were able to get past their addictions. They were able to grieve the loss of that baby girl. And then they rekindled their relationship, and they remarried. And they would banter back and forth, and they, every time they came over, they would talk about what God had done for them. And there would be some point in the conversation where my Aunt Carol would look to my Uncle Alan and say, well, you married me. And he'd look back at her and say, I know, twice. <laughs> and I remember that. I remember my faith becoming stronger because of what they were saying. My faith is strong today because of the foundation that my parents and those adults in my life laid because they talked about Jesus. 
They talked about what he had done for them. I have a crazy family, crazy family. Um, I have an uncle cousin, Jim. Yeah. Uncle cousin, Jim. Because he was my uncle because he married my aunt Sandy, which is my dad's sister. But then they got divorced and he met my mom's niece, Lana. And he married my mom's niece, Lana. So then he became Uncle Cousin Jim because I called him uncle all those years and trying to change Uncle Jim was a hard habit. So I just called him Uncle Cousin Jim. And if the story stopped there, that would be great, but it doesn't. Uncle Jim had a sister named Diane who, when my grandmother died, married my grandfather. So I don't know about Uncle Cousin Jim. I think maybe he's his own grandpa. I don't know. I don't know how all that works. I just see Kermit the Frog coming out and singing that song. I am my own grandpa. I didn't always see a light shining. My parents were Christians, but most of their family were not. I got to see family members not shining a light. I, I saw a drunk uncle beat up his wife and his little boy screaming and yelling. I'm kind of glad I was there. You know why? Because I saw my mom and dad. They weren't perfect, but they loved each other. And I could see the dichotomy. I could see this is someone without Jesus. This is someone with Jesus. See the difference? See all the pain here? I'm kind of glad my parents never stopped visiting unsaved family people. Because I could see. And they were shining a light. And... And today, a lot of those people are saved because of my parents. I have a cousin, Daryl. Like, he was like a brother to me. My sisters and his sister and I, we spent a lot of time together. A lot of time together. We loved each other. We even went to church together as kids. But as Daryl got older and got into high school, he kind of made the choice to stop going to church. And he started making decisions that kind of made you wonder where he was with God. You know, because there is a point in which we can choose to walk away from God, where we can choose to walk away from his covering and ultimately forfeit our place in heaven. There is that point where we can do that. And I don't know, I didn't know if Daryl had reached that point or not, but we, we were visiting each other and, uh, we were just sitting around the table bantering, and I brought the conversation around to Jesus. He said something. I don't even remember what it was, but I just, I just put it out there, you know, and I brought the conversation around to Jesus, and he started to make fun of me. He's like, oh, man, you sound like Aunt Geraldine. And see, Aunt Geraldine is a very strong Christian in our family, and she always talked about Jesus, and many people in our family know Jesus today because of her. But I didn't take that as a compliment at the time. I was embarrassed. I was embarrassed that he compared me to her, and I quit talking. I remember when I got the phone call that Daryl had died in a fire. 
how I felt and the question in the back of my mind, was he okay with God? Had he crossed that point? And I wonder to this day if I had not shut up, would I know? Would I have been able to shine a light? I don't know. I just have to believe that hopefully he's there. This place called family, this home, God has designed for us to love and encourage and honor each other, to instruct and discipline one another from the love and discipline that can only come from God. Ephesians 6, 1 says, Children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord, for this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you, and you will have a long life on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Who are we honoring? What story are we telling? What is our lampstand illuminating? And whose discipline and instruction are we following? If we will make the choice not to provoke one another in love, but to submit to one another in Christ, we will shine a light in our society that will not be able to be put out. It's time for the church and the family to work together to reach our shared goal to illuminate Christ. Imagine what we can do together. Here is the light that we shine. John 1, 4 through 5. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and His life, it's talking about Jesus, brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. He has come to be our light, that we may be reborn, a birth that can only come from God. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes.